Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, starting in the 33rd verse. We will continue uh, our study of the Corinthian book, but kind of shift to a new aspect in this series. We've been looking at discipline and the role of discipline in the life of the disciple before. Discipline prepares us, and so now we look at what we are called to do. Now that we are disciplined... How are we to behave? How are we to obey? One of the biggest mistakes that Christians can make is to forget that we are at war. There is a a spiritual conflict going on. We have an enemy, and it is dangerous to passively think that our job is to attend church, to generically be nice. Every soldier, every country has to discover that you have to take war seriously or you will lose. Um, You can't commit half-heartedly to a conflict. We look at at the U.S. history, we look at World War I, we look at World War II, and we took those wars very seriously. The country uh, uh, banded together, Uh, men in particular went overseas to fight, and, and we had women do their share with Rosie the Riveter, and we, and we took that seriously, right? Um, and I think that conflicts aren't won when people go off to fight and everybody at home just kind of treats it like a game. Uh, you can't commit half-heartedly to a fight, either fight to win or, or, or surrender and don't fight. But if you don't fight to win, it just drags out for, for years. People get hurt and nothing gets accomplished. And I think it's the same in our spiritual lives. We are in a spiritual war. And if you don't take it seriously and you don't fight to win, life just drags out and there's no, there's no victory. It, it, it just drags on. And there are too many Christians that aren't even on guard. Paul tells the Corinthians, stay on guard. Take it seriously now, somebody's going to say, Jason, the job of the church isn't to fight. The job of the church is to love people, right? Well, there are people that have predators for pets. You've known people that have pet boa constrictors. You, you, know, you, you can, I don't know if it's legal or not, but, but from, a, from a preacher standpoint, you can have a pet wolf. But you would be foolish to have a pet wolf and let it run around with the sheep, uh, you, you would be foolish to have a pet boa constrictor and have pet hamsters and let them live in the same cage. Um, not if you want to keep the, the hamsters for any length of time. Uh, it's one thing to love the wolf. It's another thing to forget that the wolf is wild and has teeth and claws and is a predator. In the same way... Oh, it's allergy season, forgive me. In the same way... We as Christians need to recognize that there are wolves out there and that the flock is in danger if we don't take that threat seriously. 
I'm going to grab this now. Allergy season seems later this year than normal. Maybe that's climate change. All right, so we are going to read Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, and starting with verse 33 and see why and see why this matters, specifically the conversation of the resurrection. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. I just want to stop right there. Guard your integrity. The Corinthian church had a few problems. In fact, if you combine First and Second Corinthians together, since they're to the same city, the church in the same city, they're longer than any of the Gospels. And, and my opinion is this is only half. First Corinthians refers to a previous letter that presumably we don't have. And 2 Corinthians refers to a letter that we don't have that's not 1 Corinthians or what came before 1 Corinthians. I, th- I think we have 2 and 4 Corinthians. I, I, the, the evidence implies that these are not the only two letters that Paul wrote to the church or churches in Corinth that he wrote even more than what we have, um, which tells me that the church in Corinth had issues. <laughs> One of those issues was that some, and you can read this earlier in the chapter, it's, chapter 15 is a long chapter, and I just, we don't have time to get bogged down into it, but the bulk of chapter 15 is that there were false teachers in the church preaching that there was going to be no resurrection, which boggles our mind as, as 20th century, 21st century Christians uh, who, whose entire faith is based on the resurrection. How could they fall into this false teaching? Probably, I mean, keep in mind back then that there were, that, that from the Jewish community, from all walks of life, that they even had Pharisees and Sadducees that had converted. And Sadducees, uh, based upon how little the Old Testament talks about heaven, I mean, really, really little, uh, that the Sadducees said there's no reason to believe in a resurrection. It's not really in the Old Testament. And, and having become Christians and, and knowing that Christianity is the successor to the Jewish faith, uh, you know, it was based upon the foundation of the Old Testament, you then had these Sadducees who had become Christians and said there's no reason to believe in a resurrection of the dead. And, and the first part of chapter 15 speaks on this. Um, Paul warns them that the whole Christian message is based and, and again, they didn't have a New Testament back then. When Paul was writing these letters, it's not like they had. The, the Corinthian letters may be some of the earliest documents of the church. They didn't have the Gospels to read. And so Paul warns them, the Christian faith is based upon the promise that Jesus says, in my, house are, in my Father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you, that there is a resurrection after this life. If there's no resurrection, he says, then Christ was not raised. And and then this becomes the biggest waste of time, the Christian faith, if there's no resurrection. And, and then he quotes the Greek philosopher Menander, who says, bad company corrupts good character. Now, why, why would he quote this? I think in context, Paul is warning Corinth that bad teachers will corrupt the church 
over time. And it's the job of the Christian to guard even who we hang around with because they will influence us. Now, obviously if we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we've read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 14. And I do think that we need to jump back into chapter 5 for just a minute for some context. Paul says, don't hang around with bad company. But notice what he says in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 9. I have... I need my reading glass. Man, between allergies and eyes. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case... You would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, don't even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So we go back to chapter 15. Bad company corrupts good character, and Paul's not saying stop hanging around with non-Christians. In fact, that's the opposite of the Christian message. The Christian message is there is a lost world that needs to hear the message of salvation, and if we only hang around with each other, they'll never hear that message. We are to have non-Christian friends. We are to have an influence in, in, in the world around us. The danger is the wolves living among the sheep, or the, to use a modern analogy, the boa constrictors in the hamster cage. The danger is when predators mess it up in the church. Um, False brothers in Christ. Don't be misled by the wolves, the false teachers that work their way into a church. Guard your integrity. You are a Christian, says Paul. Act like it. Apple trees produce apples. Corn produces corn, right? Corn seeds produce corn. The fruit is the evidence of the tree. The Christian acts like Christ. The Corinthian church had lots of problems. Again, probably four books, minimally, that Paul wrote to them. They, they had issues that Paul felt was important to address. He puts a lot of time and effort into their church. He loves them. He loved the people. He didn't like what he saw, the behavior Come back to your senses, he says. Wake up. You, you know better than this. It's not about you. It's about where God is taking you, taking us, uh, taking us. We put ourselves to death. We take on Christ. We must die to ourselves to be of use to the kingdom of God. So we ask, are we sold out? Or are we just trudging along? Are we in it to win? We're just going through the motions. There is this tenure mentality. You know, colleges have tenure. There's a certain point when it's harder to get rid of the professor if they've been there long enough. There's this union mentality that Christians can buy into. This idea that we are owed, that God owes us. (laughs) Recent stats, they, they, they did a survey of college kids. And they said, if you never crack open a book when you get home, you don't study, 
you don't do any of the homework that the professor assigns. You just show up for class, and that's it. Your, your, your effort in college is attendance only. What do you think your grade should be? Resoundingly, college kids said, that's worth a B. And now we know the problem of the church. Because people in the church feel that too. That, that, that a B level of effort in Christianity is attendance and nothing more. Never reading the Bible, never praying, never acting like Christ in the community and helping people in need. Showing up in church is worth a B. That's the problem. That's the problem with the U.S. today. That's the problem with the church today. I show up. I attend. I grace the church with my presence. God owes me heaven. Paul says, run for the prize. Run, run, run for, you know, and his point is, everybody runs. <laughs> he doesn't get into, they didn't have participation trophies back then. Everybody runs. He says, one person gets the prize in the Olympics. It's amazing they had those back in his day, and we still do. Everybody runs, only one person gets the prize. He said, be that one. We cannot be lazy where our faith is concerned. We must guard our integrity. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I'll keep reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or of something else. But God gives it a body, uh, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. And so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. And as was the earthly man, so were those who were of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. All right, deep stuff, there's a lot in there. I do think Paul is telling us to guard what we know, our knowledge. Why does it matter what's up here, what we know? Can't we just ask Jesus into our hearts and move on? Let's start with the idea that asking Jesus into your heart is a modern convention that the Bible does. The Bible never tells us that to become a Christian, we ask Jesus into our heart. 
It says that we need to hear the gospel and then we need to believe it. And then we need to repent of our sins and confess Christ as the Lord of our life and get baptized into his name. And nowhere in that plan of salvation is asking Jesus into your heart. That's just not what we see anywhere. Read the entire book of Acts, 28 chapters. I, I challenged, back when I was a college professor, I challenged one of my kids uh, who, who was into the Ask Jesus into your heart. I said, have you read the book of Acts? And he said, and he said of course. So I want you to do me a favor. Before we have this conversation on how to become a Christian, I want you to go home. This is what I, th- th- these, these are the steps that I contend are, Christ- are being a Christian, not what your denomination has taught you. I want you to re- go home, read it again, knowing that this is what I'm going to argue, and then I want you to be prepared to come back and argue with me. And when he came back a couple days later, he said, he opened up with discussions over, how could I have been so wrong? He said, that is the plan of salvation in the book of Acts. He said, I see that clearly. Why didn't my denomination teach me this? We, hearing, believing, conf- uh, repenting, confessing, getting baptized into the name of Christ, I mean, that is just, that, that is clearly the plan in the book of Acts. Asking Jesus into your heart isn't it. We, we don't want him in our hearts. We want him in our hands and we want him in our, in our feet and in our, in our mouths and, and not just our hearts. We must be on guard against bad theology. What we believe, theology is a fancy word for the study of God, what we believe matters. It's not just a, well, I call myself a Christian and I'm done. If that was true, we could have ended after the book of Matthew. We could have had a gospel and be done. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of them. And then, and then called it quits and say, believe this guy and you're done. All the other books, of the, all these letters from Romans to Jude, letters to the church, were about doctrine, were about cleaning up what we believed. What we believe matters. Somebody's going to say, well, Jason, God wouldn't turn anybody away. Um, I, I wouldn't count on that. I, I, there wouldn't be all these these. these uh, warnings about bad teachers, if we're counting on that. Jason, God doesn't care about, well, sin anymore. As long as you believe in Jesus, that's what matters. That wasn't biblical back then, and it's not biblical now. What's the place of the Bible in our lives? Biblical illiteracy is off the charts. I've gone back to this, that Moses, David, Jesus... One out, of four Christi- one out of four people that call themselves Christians can put those three guys in the right order. And let's be clear, they each lived a thousand years apart. Uh, well, 500 years between Moses and David. A thousand years after David for Jesus. Um, bi- biblically wise, Moses is up here, David's in the middle, and Jesus is at the end. And I'm not saying that that is the most critical thing you have to know. But if we have trouble putting even some of the basic events of the Bible into the right order, it, it does make me ask the question, what do we know about this book? Discipleship means be holy, God says, as I am holy. It means pay attention to this book and, and, and learn what God wants to teach us. Now, it means having your own faith, your faith, not my faith, not just listening to the gospel, but having a relationship with God. Believe it or not, I'm not actually a big fan of, of theological discussions. It's not really my thing. I'm not saying you got to be in I'm not even really into it. Um, there is a difference between truth 
there's theology, and then there's just academia. Okay, we have to know the difference, I guess. We do need to know the truth, the truth of God, what he wants us to know. This isn't just a discussion. Where, when, I, when I was in college, I had a little Lord of the Rings fans. And, and, the, 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 and I went to Bible college, but there were a bunch of us that were really into Lord of the Rings. And we would get together and we would debate at, at Taco Bell after church. Instead of debating the sermon, we were debating Lord of the Rings and, and, and which characters were related to who. And, and, and it was a lot of fun, but let's be clear, it didn't matter, right? It was just this fun discussion that was really being nerdy and academic and, and who cares, right? There's a danger in treating the Bible that way. That it's a book that we can just debate and it doesn't matter. And there's a way of treating the Bible very academically. That it's this book for study and it's this book for people who love to read and it's only for this kind of nerdy crowd that, that, that wants to get deep into it. The Bible matters. It is truth. It is the book for all of us. I, I know that some people are good readers and some aren't. Okay, I'm not saying that you have to... We have this idea that you have to read the Bible every year. I'm not saying that at all. Okay? There, there is... It, it's a lot to read in a year. I knew a Bible college professor that read it like once every six or seven or eight years. I mean, that's not even a chapter a day. I'm not saying that you have to read it every day. But I think that's a good habit. But I will say that if you go through the course of a year and you've never cracked it, well then... I think that we have gone too long at that point. It is a book that was left to us to study. It's not all going to make sense, all of it, to you. It's not all make, it doesn't all make sense to me. But that's why I read it, and that's why I try to learn more. We, we can't rely on someone else doing the reading for us. Um, we can't let someone else tell us what truth is. We know this in this great misinformation age of social media that anybody can post anything on Facebook or, or Twitter or anything else like that and false stories run really, really rampant and far. The problem with someone else telling us what is truth is that they may be wrong. We need to look into it for ourselves. Now, having said that I don't like theology, let's again say that theology is the study of God and I do want to know God. I do want to get to know him. Truth is important. My studying of God is important. I just need to keep it in the context that I need the church to help me understand the, the Bible. I need you to help me make sense of, of who God is because I'm not, I'm not perfect on my own. Um, I, I want to study this book. It's here for me. You know, and not the little stuff of how many angels are in heaven. I just want to know God and, and, and know what he wants from me. You know, I, I, I've known so many people that said the day that they, you know, I graduated high school, I never need to crack open a book again. Or I graduated college, and I don't ever need to crack open a book again. And I hope that we haven't fallen into that with this book. There's never a day that we retire from coming to know this book. Paul says in Corinthians that I am a spiritual being, and that I need to understand this, and I need to know this. Stop sinning, he says, so that I can be raised imperishable. In glory as a spiritual being, that's the call. He says to guard my knowledge, my, my understanding of who God is. But there's a third thing that he says. So let's, let's finish up this chapter. Verse 50. 
I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Guard your hope. Therefore, Paul says, since we will be resurrected, hang in there, stand firm. There is hope for we who call on Christ, but we have to hang on to it and guard it. In, in, in my Sunday school class this morning uh, with the young men that were in there, we talked about uh, how it, this is a dark world. I, I, my heart breaks for the kids of this world. The last two years have been terrible in so many ways. And we get through this pandemic, and now we've got what we saw on the screen just earlier, uh, this, this Ukraine-Russia war that is creating global crises of food. What a terrible world to have to grow up in. We could let that depress us and ruin us. And we talked about the shootings that were going on, and, and, and these insightful young men uh, mentioned that their understand they they believe that these are happening because people have lost hope and i think they're right i think there's a lot of people that lo- have lost hope looking at this world if i i don't know how the rest of the world gets through life without this book we have hope hang on to it guard it this is what our world is missing we have a world that desperately is in desire for is there a reason to hang on is there a hope at the end of all of this and we've got that message there is And then Paul says, because of this, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. If I ask you, have you given yourself fully to the work of the Lord, how would you answer? We have this hope. It's not in vain. We have this promise. What we do in the name of the Lord is not a waste of our time. It's worth it in the end. Everything in this life perishes. Nothing lasts. But what we are doing For Christ has eternal value. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we as Christians might even fall into despair and lose that hope. It's easy to forget. There are so many things that can distract us from what God is doing, good things that he is doing in our world, and what we should be doing. So so here's a comparison. I knew a woman a number of years ago that had recorded a couple albums kind of on the side, uh, and they were good. She had the chance to go full-time into a music career, but she turned it down in the end. I mean, she could have been big, I think. But she turned it down in the end because it would have taken her away from her family, her husband, her kids. Um, it, it, it would have consumed her life, and engaging her priorities would have taken away from the church that she, that she served in, and engaging her priorities 
Although the world would have said, man, this is the chance to become this big nationally famous singer, she turned that down. Sports can do that, right? Sports can, can, can be all-consuming. Hobbies, fun things that, that are great. Hobbies are wonderful. I'm not speaking against hobbies. But if we're not careful, they can consume us. Um, and, and we can lose sight of what's important. Christ must be all-important. It's okay to have hobbies on the side, but Christ must be the one that consumes us. We give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because there is erection, resurrection and it matters. Whether God has planted you, wherever God has planted you, do it fully for the Lord. You know, I'm reminded that, that you know, Paul says uh, back in Colossians chapter 3, if wherever God has put you, whether, whether you are a master or a slave, do it for God. Now we look at slavery and say, what a terrible thing. Yeah, but, but, God says through Paul, even if you're a slave, do it for God because this is not going to last that long in the scope of things. Wherever we're planted, be a Christian. When we invest our life fully with God, everything becomes an investment in our eternity. Be on guard. Wherever God has placed you, this is our commitment. This is a lifestyle commitment. As I said last week, there's a reason that we don't baptize kids right away. And you know, It's a tough decision to be a Christian. It's, it, it's a decision that matters. It's the most meaningful decision that we will ever make in our life because it's the one decision that has eternal ramifications. Will we follow Christ for eternity? We've, Paul says we have been promised new clothes in verse 53. We will be clothed in the imperishable and the immortal. You know the story of the emperor's clothes, right? That story where they, they trick the emperor and he parades around town wearing nothing. And everybody pretends that they can see his amazing invisible clothes until that one kid calls out he's naked. <laughs> there, there are a lot of Christians, people that call themselves Christians, that are not clothed. Um, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians that have made no effort to be dressed up, uh, to be dressed for eternity. We have been offered eternity. We are called to run the race, to stand firm, to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Our Hymn of invitation today is hymn number 468. It is time to grow up in our faith. It is time when we quit treating our faith as a kid. Um, there, there are times when kids, you know, kids like their, man, the distractions today. There are, there are times when kids have the night lights and they have the comfort blankets and they bring the stuffed animals with them, right? And then there's the time that they grow past that. And it's time to grow up and put childish things behind us. How ridiculous would it be to see an adult walking around town with a teddy bear and a blanket in one arm going through life like that? There's a time that we grow up. There are a number of people who go to church who call themselves Christians who have made no effort to grow up in their faith they're as deep in their faith as they were 20, 30 years ago when they first accepted Christ and became a Christian. Paul says There's, that's not appropriate. 
We don't become a Christian and call it quits. We become a Christian and then the growth kicks in. There's a time when we are called not to be spiritual infants anymore. Are we ready to take our relationship with Christ seriously? If you haven't done that, I would like to talk with you today about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.